This is your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes jam-packed with up-to-the-minute news from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice every weekday. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. I didn't think that I would still be so engaged in the impeachment stuff, but not only did it enrage me, what you told me, Binkley, enraged me further because now I feel like I was enraged on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. On a whole new level from like your normal, well, they're just doing it on purpose kind of thing. What was your impression? And then I'll tell you what I think about it. On yesterday's show, you opened the show saying that impeachment has now made you angry. But not because you're surprised that they did it or anything like that. Just the way it all folded out and the deception and everything. I turned on Scott Adams' podcast last night. And he's got a good podcast. He's a smart guy. I don't agree with him on a lot of stuff, but he does think about things and he questions things. And he started off his podcast by talking about how impeachment has made him, and this is his words, fucking hate our politicians. And he went on like a five-minute rant, and he was swearing the entire time, and he was really, really angry. And it wasn't because he was surprised. He Just like you— just like me, knew it was coming down, made him super angry, and that was very, very contrary to how he usually reacts, just like your reaction was contrary to how you usually react. And me, the only reason I wasn't angry is because I looked at it yesterday for a few seconds, and I was just like, just, it was just like gross to me, and I was like, I couldn't even look at it, which was also a different type of reaction that I usually have, which made me wonder if that's the exact type of reactions that if it happened to three people who I would consider to be in the same demographic, that of conspiracy theorists and questioning things, critical thinking, then maybe that's the way they wanted us to react to this announcement yesterday. Yeah, I I see what you mean. I wouldn't – we can call ourselves conspiracy theorists. That's fine. But I would say people who question the official narrative so that we're not – only the only reason it's relevant is that we are – the reason I think – think what you're tapping into is that we are not the ones who buy into the psyop we're not we're not the low-hanging fruit for the emotionalism of the mainstream media it's harder to get to us and i think so so i'm picking up on your idea that it is targeted for this subgroup but i don't think it's targeted necessarily for the subgroup of conspiracy theories theorists i think it's targeted to the subgroup of people who are not easily captured by the empty mindless emotionalism of these of these partisan psyops yeah it could be designed to try and get us to disengage well i was thinking that it was trying to well i i don't know if it was trying to get us to engage or disengage but it smacked very much of the Greta thing where I came out and this was another thing that you're just like, yeah, yeah, I've had enough of that. I don't, cause you were ahead of the Greta thing. I wasn't really paying attention to it. It took a lot to penetrate my shield of, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And then she came out and I just saw like her speech briefly. And I was immediately enraged. I was the first one to say like, wow, she went too far. Like I just, within seconds, I was just like, whoa, this is nuts. And that is the same way I feel here. So when you see, it was just like when Vicente Fox came out and used vulgarity on TV about Trump. I was like, that's it. That's a watershed moment. That's a tipping point. This is a paradigm shift. Any kind of cliche or whatever phrase you want to put on it, that was a a moment that I knew things were changing or escalating or whatever. And that is what I think 
this is all about. And I think because it's meant to push people too far, it isn't an authentic attempt to unseat Trump. Not that we thought it was an authentic attempt to unseat Trump at all, but now they're putting the, it's it, it is rising to the level of a psyop to kind of maybe hashtag lose on purpose. But in any case, I think what they're trying to do, the Democrats, is go too far so they can say everybody hates Trump. And the only thing to really get somebody to win an election is for to get people to hate you, you know, for you to lose an election is to get people to hate you more because it's always about who they hate more. So this is a way for the Democrats to come off as stupider. You know, you're stupid. No, you're stupid. Then to actually come off as stupider and more hateable than Trump. And then they can come back with the mea culpa about tactics, but still the moral high ground on the rhetoric where he does suck. And it has the added bonus of showing that democratic, that pure democracy, which is how this is, this, our system is advertised, even though that's not technically what it is. But this kind of uh, demagoguery democracy backfires, doesn't work. It's just another failure in the system where if you try to fight back through the normal methods, you get a worse outcome. Something has to be done. Yeah. And another angle I thought when it comes to the other side, so to speak, the audience over there, is to me, and I think to a lot of other people, Everything that I see on TV about this impeachment thing, when the people come and speak out about it, when Pelosi, when Adam Schiff speaks out about it, I've never seen a group of people be more disingenuous and not believe the things that they're saying as these people. I've never seen – it's just such obvious bullshit coming out of their mouth that I honestly cannot comprehend how anyone – can believe everything they say. Not not to say that some of the things that they say aren't true. There's always truth at the heart of propaganda because they have to use kernels of truth to, in order to spin it into bigger lies. But they are such bad actors, yeah. and it seems like they just don't care to be convincing that it pisses us off. But I also wonder, because I know, I know people who believe everything they say. It doesn't matter how they say it. They could be like, None of this is true that I'm about to say, and then say it, and they would still believe they would they would only hear the part that they said after the fact that was bad about Trump. I think the difference might be that normally these people are just they don't care. They're just doing what they're doing and they think they know why. Now, this time, they're really acting like they're fully consciously aware of what they're trying to get done. And that I believe is part of it. Like I actually think that it's that letting them in on the secret, making it have that taste, that touch of inauthenticity is what is so enraging about it. And I know this sounds like it's like too clever by half, like what these people are doing as if, Oh yeah, they think that way. They do think that way. And you see that they think that way. Many times it's in evidence that they have, like when you heard Catherine Ashton tell the Estonian foreign minister that that they need to make sure that there are flowers in the Maidan about the people who died, or Victoria Nuland, this is all Ukraine stuff, Victoria Nuland saying we were in the Maidan handing out cookies. These little things, these little effects are very important to the PSYOPs. They really care about them. Yeah, and how powerful is it if you can just obviously disingenuously lie 
and a large portion of the population will still accept it as true. Well, you don't even have to try. They've done so many tests like that in these false flags. If you looked at the Charlie Hebdo thing, I got freaking reamed. It was like, I just left Facebook after this because I isolated a frame from the video of when the cop was shot where it was clear that the bullet ricocheted. First, it looked like the bullet ricocheted off the, the ground then, as you got close, close, close up, you could see the cop had in his hand a little powder pack that he squeezed. So, oh, yeah, it was crazy. It was really crazy. And you could, but besides that, you could see in the moving thing that the gun went off and ricocheted off the sidewalk before the guy collapsed, which had to be true since the guy was squeezing that little powder thing. You know, if you slowed it down and really looked at it, you could see it. And I would show it to people and they would say, yeah, I don't really understand. You know, I'm not a bullet expert. It's like it's not a bullet expert. It's bouncing off the sidewalk. Like, you know, you must believe they will not believe their own eyes. And that is a powerful thing. Yes. Their expectation that it's not possible for it to be that fake. And they and and I almost wonder there are definitely sometimes I don't know about that time. I don't think that time was one of those times. But like that crazy Sandy Hook picture that they they put these things out there to see what the limits are. And actually I read about psychological operations from like the joint defense task force or something a couple of years ago. And they said that they put out trial balloons. They see how much people will buy before they launch a big psyop. Mm -hmm. And so like before Edward Snowden, there was like this really ridiculous spy, American spy arrested in Moscow with blonde wigs and stuff. And people kind of bought it. And I feel like that was the trial balloon of Snowden. So they just, they know how far they can go. And I think they, they look hard at this stuff. And when you look at the things that you bring yeah. to Propaganda Report, you know they're thinking this stuff through. Yeah. And some people on the left who buy into this stuff who are smart enough, analytical enough, critical enough to recognize that not everything is true. Instead of questioning the motives or questioning other stuff, from what I've seen to people that I've talked to in the artistic community, they instead go the other way with it and call the lies and propaganda justified. Well, right. that's what they need to do to get this monster facts out. Facts like, are Wait facts, a minute, but, but truth is truth. And that's yeah. – and I, I just – I urge people to realize that justice never – that's the a- absolute heart of justice – especially where it's come in our country where it's supposed to be the idealized form is facts, individual, case-by-case, specifics. I mean, I actually learned that in law school. I had to wipe from my mind the idea that you can get so much more thinking done when you generalize and just sweep away entire – they're like, you can't do that. It's very specific. Speaking of Greta, the the original deliberate enrager – my opinion, a, a true created person. She is not just the created person of the year, but she is the time person of the year. Oh, did she win that? I should have <laughs> known it was going to be her. <laughs> no, you should have gotten ahead of that. Well, it's a little, I feel like this is such a weird compressed holiday season that if it had been on your radar, the time person of the year, I should have asked you, who do you think won it? You would have definitely guessed it. I, I saw that this morning that they were about to pick it. And I was like, Who's it going to be? And I only thought about it for like yeah, a second. But Greta, she, like Greta's course. the obvious pick. Of course. So she's the youngest person ever. And I didn't know that. I didn't think about it. All I saw was her face come across the screen. 
But so this is, I want to just tell you the notes I wrote about it that I was going to bring here today. And then only afterwards saw what the headline was on the cover. I wrote, she's the time person of the year, self-righteous, uh, sanctimony directed at quote, the man, you know, from the sixties or the old people or, or, (laughs) or now as they, as the kids say, the boomers or the Karens, which I kind of picked up on a little while ago saying, like, yeah. how are they going to discredit this generation that was exposed to the limited hangout of the Internet and actually saw all these truths revealed before we fed our kids to Facebook and Instagram and stuff? You know, like we fed them into this maw because we thought it was like an authentic two way street of information that they, they to neutralize us, that the parents, the old people. And I've been seeing this coming in different ways. I knew that that age dialectic was a low hanging fruit. I knew that the. Um, gender dialectic is low-hanging fruit for terrorism and mass shootings. That was in the news today if we get to it. But I I wrote that her, this youth thing that she represents, the wisdom of the youth, the courage of the youth, the, 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 it, it's like that Mother Earth thing. It's that, it, it's come up in many manipulated revolutions over the years where the, the peasant, the serf, I was reading a book about like the attempts at Russian Revolution and the free, freeing the serfs and all that from the 19th century. I was reading a book about it long time ago and I remember really stuck in my mind that the guy was saying how the people who wanted the revolution were using the wisdom of the surf the power of the primitive as being like a return and the 60s did that too like 60s parents like they raised their kids like animals like you can just let them let them in a a room alone with food and eventually they'll get to the broccoli because they know they need it they never you know I talked about this they never get to the broccoli so never, never. So I'm looking. So, you know, like I think of kids as crepe myrtles. Like if you just let them go, yeah, they're flowery. They're pretty, but they're like bushes on the ground. Like there's, they ain't going nowhere. You got to <laughs> trim that thing. You know, you really got to trim it up. It's it, you got to force it into being a tree or pretty or tame or neat or whatever. But what it said, what Greta's tagline was or whatever the time. So that's what I had said before I saw what they had said. And what they said was Greta, whatever her name is, Thunberg, Thunberg, the power of youth. And I thought they're really, they're not focusing on the climate. They're not focusing. They're just focusing on, you know, I, I would, I might've expected them to say the courage of youth or the purity of youth or the wisdom of youth. They said the power of youth. But because that's what her self-righteous sanctimony is being translated into power, the power to fucking nag. She she's a Karen. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the power of the youth. It's good that they chose the word power because that is more accurate because the power of the youth is going to be in the hands of whoever it is. that's organizing exactly. and controlling them. They should the call it the hammer, the, youth, the hammerhead of the youth. Yeah. The wisdom of the youth would have been would. Yes, you're right. Is is you're like right. I was a lot of things when I was younger. Wise was certainly not one of them, and it's just on the contrary. If in my case, were you wise? I was youth? on the contrary. I was foolish. Oh, yes, I yeah. was extremely. Yeah, exactly. I still have pangs of embarrassment for stuff I did when I was a, a teenager. Oh gosh, yeah, I know. Absolutely. I probably need to get over that, but you know, I just think back and I'm like, please, please. I hope no yeah, one else is too. thinking about this. And of course, they aren't. <laughs> What is the cover of Time Magazine? I'm just picturing Greta standing with a boot on the neck of a boomer and like maybe a walker's on the ground. And she's like, it's like, OK, boomer is the headline. Um, my impression of her is 
like kind of, I can't remember what it looks like exactly. And I'm not going to look, I'm just going to tell you how it feels that she is the Joan of Arc figure. She is standing on a, on a, you know, bridgehead. I don't know what you would call it. Like a, you know, she's standing with her face to the wind, strong and whatever. Let's look at it. Gosh. Time person of the year. So while you're looking that up, I wanted to make one comment about impeachment. I meant to bring this up the other day. This is going to be, well, unless something drastically changes about her, they just completely stop talking about it to get it out of the public mind. This seems to be setting a precedent where all future presidents can expect to be impeached. That's funny because Alexis de Tocqueville in Democracy in America, which was like whatever, 170 years ago, something like that. Whoa, that's my looking up the person of the year. She's on a on a shore. She's on a rocky shore. I'm sure anticipating a rising tide, yeah. but she definitely has that. Yeah, she's just watching the tide Joan, rise herself. Yes, that Joan of Arc look though. That he said it's good that we have impeachment so that we don't need assassination or or throwing people in jail or whatever. That impeachment lets people get their political frustrations out without actually penalizing the individual. And that's, now that I think about it, that reminds me of what the 25th Amendment supposedly was for. The 25th Amendment was for the deep state to take a president out without having to kill him after JFK. I yeah. think. Well. Anyway, but I don't they, think they're they taking him out. I think the they're just, yeah, it's just a nuisance. Nah. Yeah. It's a nuisance. Suit. Yeah, they leave him in. <laughs> How are they going to get people to believe their completely disingenuous lies all the time if they don't leave him in? They need that object of hate well, to skew people's reality. I have to say, they need him to do... I mean, I think I just said this the other day, and boy, is it coming true. I just I was felt, felt so embarrassed. I told you that I had listed off all the things I thought Trump was supposed to be in. Remember, I was like, ah, I wasted time on that. All the things that I thought Trump was going to get a second term in order to foist upon us with his cult of personality... And this USMCA, I have to tell you about it. I want to hear if there's any more impeachment stuff or the Zelensky thing before we move on to that. But I must tell you how bad this really is or how much of a representation of Trump being there as controlled opposition really is, in my opinion. The only other impeachment-related stuff I have is just a quick follow-up notes on the Putin-Zelensky meeting yesterday. And as the New York Times put it, and pretty much every other article— they premised it by saying everybody was afraid that this meeting with Zelensky and Putin was going to be just Putin dominating Zelensky because Putin, KGB, been president for 20 years. Zelensky, a stupid, dumb comedian who just somehow became president. That's the feel of the article. We just thought he was going to get dominated. But what occurred, they say, is that the negotiation instead ended in a draw instead of the domination that everyone feared and – they are going to do the ceasefire that's going to be by the end of 2019, I believe. Oh, that would be great. Maybe it's the end of 20. Yeah, no, ceasefire before the end of 2019. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, and both sides said it's a good first step, basically, Yeah. of negotiations. Putin has been amazingly conciliatory the whole time, considering he is, has, is at zero fault here. With this, he, he gets all the play, blame for Ukraine, and he has no fault. And in this book I'm reading about Ukraine, which is a slog, but I'm almost finished with it, one of the suspicions that was uh, raised in this book that was in some media outlets and had some reason to believe is that Zelensky's puppet master, Kolomoisky, 
or at least his former boss when he was a comedian uh, or a TV star, Kolomoisky may have been behind the MH17 flight that was shot down over Ukraine. That either it was near his area because Kolomoisky was put in as a governor in one of those regions in that area. And one of the things, and he was the guy with the shark tank in his office. Like he's a, he, he's supposedly like took over a company by going in and literally breaking heads in the headquarters. Like he's, he's just a, a thug. This is the guy that's feeding sharks in his office. Yes. That you're talking yes. about. Okay. And then, and then, but one of the things that they say may have happened is that Putin was in the air, not too far from there. And that maybe he was just trying to shoot Putin down. Yeah. Really? I don't know. But like. When when I read a lot of when I'm reading this book and they come out with all this stuff that really that demonstrates what we really were up to over there. Not that speculative, but a lot of the stuff is in evidence. And then I think about these Afghanistan papers. It just cracks me up because you, it, this thing should be on the front page. Like, oh, my gosh, we did a coup in Ukraine. You know, if the Afghanistan papers weren't there for some other agenda they wouldn't be there at all. Anyway, that's getting off topic. I don't want to do that. I want to get back to my USMCA thing if you're ready. Yeah, let's hear it. I, I can't help but think of that it's Leonard Skinner song. Like he just signed with MCA. Did he say MCA? Anyway. Oh, yeah. I know. I can't remember the song. Remember. That's yeah, way before your time, probably. It's a oh, little no, before my Skinner. time. But I like Leonard Skinner too, but you can't like them because they're. Because they did. Uh, Sweet Home Alabama. Freebird. Oh, wow. Yeah, might as well be Sweet Home Racist. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it was a rebuttal. So Neil Young was allowed to call out Southern Man, which is a terrible song. Anyway, talk about off track. USMCA. <laughs> so here's the story with this. The I have too much on this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make it quick. So Pelosi comes out and says, We ate his lunch, meaning that we really got the better of Trump in this USMCA negotiation. And then Republicans on the QT were saying, yeah, or Democrats, like real anonymous sources, but I think it sounded like real, real like congressmen and stuff saying Trump gave away the farm to the Democrats just to get this deal done and fulfill a campaign promise. And they didn't care what the GOP thought because the GOP is not going to scuttle a Trump initiative. So it's going to pass. It's going to pass the Senate. And they didn't have to listen to the GOP. So there is Trump literally getting completely uh, serving the Democrats, calling it a triumph, calling it a campaign promise fulfilled, hiding behind the idea of deal doing. When I think this is all a globalist plot and that Trump has been there from the beginning to undermine the trade stuff, the immigration stuff, all of that. Wait until this stuff bleeds into – he's already doing war and debt uh, in, a, in a way that betrays the ideology that, that his supporters used to embrace. But uh, here's the thing. The timing is so weird. So Pelosi comes out. They've been negotiating this for a year, Okay. Like, I, I think the Trump administration basically signed off on it a year ago, but it had to, like, go through our legislative processes, and the Democrats have been, we've been negotiating with Democrats, the Republicans have been negotiating with Democrats for a year. So she comes out, 
with the triumphant, like we negotiated two hours after the impeachment articles of impeachment so that, of course, it would get no press. Right? Yeah. But here's what's crazier, even crazier about the timing. There's a picture of Mexico in Mexico City, taken in Mexico City yesterday, shortly after she announces this, of Lighthizer, our trade representative, of the deputy fo- foreign minister of, I think it's deputy foreign minister of Canada, and the president of Mexico in Mexico City signing the revised document. So they were all sitting there at a table. This is something that's been going on for a year, but they were all sitting there at a table waiting to sign it the day that Pelosi announces this triumph. You know what I mean? Like it was clearly orchestrated. Yeah, and what you said that it happened right after the impeachment articles were filed and the narrative around the impeachment articles are this guy has to be removed from office because – if he stays in, then the 2020 election is already jeopardized and democracy is doomed. And then they turn around and they make a deal with him. So well, why are you making a deal with someone? That's the thing. So this is what I consider to be proof that they were lying in the indivisible stuff, saying that they were going to do nothing but uh, investigations and investigations and investigations so that Trump can't get anything done. That, in fact, this is – These are all smoke and mirrors for policy stuff they don't want us to focus on because this is the most significant, in my opinion, the most significant policy that Trump has enacted as president. That's how serious I think this is. And the international press and the Canadians and the Mexicans and the Guardian and UK are saying the Guardian said it was a triumph for workers' rights. Uh, The Canadian chick said it was a triumph for multiculturalism. Lighthizer said it was a miracle of bipartisanship, something like that. I, I'm kind of consolidating his longer quote. A miracle? Of, of partisanship. A bipartisanship. bipartisanship. But, but this is a guy who was sitting there with a pen in his hand. You know, it's yeah. been a year of negotiations, and it's a, a miracle that it happened, but he was waiting at that exact moment with a pen in his hand? He's always ready for a miracle. Mm-hmm. Cute. Anyway, he's a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. So the fact that Trump put the CFR guy in front of a regional in charge of a regional trade agreement makes it crystal clear to me this globalism, this regionalism is a stepping stone to globalism. And this is no. So by also by saying we ate his lunch, Pelosi makes it look like Trump was bamboozled. It just gives Trump cover. This whole thing, and I mean, this is more, it reminds me of what Scaramucci said to the World Economic Forum right when Trump first got inaugurated. He's like, he'll surprise you. He's one of us, basically. He's going (laughs) to get it done. And uh, so I just, I feel like the whole, that this policy is absolutely significant and it gives the lie to all the partisanship, all the uh, the venom, the smoke and mirrors, it's exactly what I feared, which is it's all cover for policies that really – this is so significant. It's really upsetting. It should be stopped, but I don't know how it can be. And nobody's been talking yeah. about it except you, yeah. and I haven't really heard anybody else. I want to say one quick thing about the impeachment thing again that I started to notice the past couple of days. I saw another article about this yesterday. People are finally talking about something that we've been talking about for months, and that's the question around will the Democrats accept the 2020 election if Trump wins? And this is because of what Nadler and others said about we have to get get him out of here because the 2020 election will be jeopardized like we talked about yesterday. 
of course they're not going to accept it. That's all part of the propaganda strategy to agitate. And they're, they're now bringing this question to the surface, which is probably going to get make the Democrats say, well, the Republicans aren't going to accept the 2020 election. It's just going to become one of those dialectics. I do believe that the illegitimacy of elections is an essential part of the divisiveness that that is critical to this uh, convergence of policy positions from both sides. So, I mean, I noticed it when it started with, didn't Clinton have an illegitimacy problem? Yeah. Did Clinton there have a illegitimacy yeah. problem on the election? Oh, well, well, he was not elected by a majority. I remember he got the exact same percentage as Hitler, 44%, because there was a third oh, really? party person running. Okay. But yeah. then you had the hanging Chad for Bush W, his first election. You had the Ohio voting machines, the second election. So both of his elections could be considered illegitimate. And then you had the birther issue for Obama. And then, as I've said before, and I'm sure I will say again, Trump has this issue, but Hillary and Cruz, the other two front runners, would have had more serious issues, Hillary being illegal voters and Cruz being the fact that he was not a U.S. citizen. Yeah. And what this one is going to be is it's going to be that Russia invaded and attacked us in two consecutive elections. Yep, I believe that. And controlled our White House. And that they put a racist who enacted or who who helped voter suppression thrive around the country. That's my prediction. Yeah, the voter suppression thing is definitely going to be a part of it. That it wouldn't have worked if it hadn't been for... You know, many factors went into that. Embolden those attitudes. Right. And then you can go to the popular thing, but you also have to then counter the popular thing by toning down the democratic element, you know, a more Athenian or Spartan or whatever that chick said, which she was even, I don't even think that's what she was saying. She's, she put that label on it, but I don't even think it really reflected the historical truth of it. Anyway, come on, lighten it up, Binkley. Give me something else. I'm, I'm. Getting tired heads. Season beatings. Season's <laughs> beatings. Woman attacked boyfriend with artificial Christmas tree, cops allege. During an argument yesterday morning, a Florida woman took apart her family's artificial Christmas tree and proceeded to strike her longtime boyfriend with three sections of the fake tree. <laughs> Upon entering the residence at 7 a.m., the woman and the victim were actively engaged in in a physical alteration, the investigators reported. And they said that the couple had been fighting due to the victim setting the TV volume on too high while she was sleeping. And as a result, she squared up to the victim and started screaming at his face. And then she took apart the artificial Christmas tree and threw three separate sections at her boyfriend – and the perhaps the funniest part about it, the guy had lacerations on scratches and abrasions on his neck, face, and stomach. But they end the story by saying Graham's two year old, that's the woman, Graham's children, ages eight and two, were present during the confrontation. What does that mean? Why is it? It means that she was beating the hell out of her boyfriend oh, with three her- pieces of Christmas tree and her Aww. kids are just sitting there. I mean, what kind of, what kind of, you're a two-year-old, your brain is still forming. Every time you see a Christmas tree the rest of your life, you're going to think of that horrible situation where this live-in boyfriend Uh, is getting his ass whipped by a Christmas tree. It's it's, uh, the modern version of I saw daddy kissing, mommy kissing Santa Claus. I saw mommy beating Santa Claus at the Christmas tree. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, well, that, that is not really uplifting, but, uh, But it's humorous. And 
I do not know if that was in a trailer part or not, but I presume possibly. It could have been. That would explain how she could get that. It was probably a, a, a small artificial tree. So what's the Richard definitely Jewell Definitely in Florida, update? though. What, what, definitely in Florida. What did that? It was definitely in Florida. What about the Richard yes. Jewell update? What's that? There's been stories about Richard Jewell the past couple of days that have kind of amped up, and the story is about the movie Richard Jewell, the one the Clint Eastwood movie, and they are accusing them of being sexist and defaming. There might even be a defamation lawsuit, and might even be the AJC that sues the movie. I don't know. They're saying that the way they treated the represented a journalist from the AJC that was working on the case, an investigator back then, that. It was sexist and that it's not true because they allege, as I mentioned yesterday in, in a scene, that she would sleep with people or she slept with someone, a source, to get information. And the AJC pushed back against that, and they acted like it was outrageous. They demanded that a disclaimer be put on the movie. A disclaimer is already on the movie. So mm-hmm. I don't know what's the point of mm-hmm. demanding something that's already yeah, there. Yeah, but it's, like, it's their only way to fight back probably. Yeah, and – the problem, though, is that they're just saying it's not true, and I don't know what the scene is in the movie. Of course, it's not going to be an exact representation of what happened. That's not going to. That's never the case in any movie ever. Even if you're watching a documentary, the elements surrounding. Oh, I can barely. I am actually less inclined to watch things that they say are based on a true story, because I feel like they they use that to give you a point or a message that is impossible and not true, and it's just very messagey and PC, and they act like because it's supposedly a true story that it gives you the sense of validity in your mind that you shouldn't be thinking of it as a learning situation. It's pure entertainment, yeah. and you should not think of it as reality. There you go, exactly. So they're attacking this movie, I mean, hardcore coming from a lot of different networks, and yet I, I found an article from like two thousand and. Five, I think, and it was written by somebody who thinks fondly. Her name is uh, Kathy Shrugs is the name of the journalist who was investigating and reporting on this. And this person who wrote the article clearly admires this woman's work. Even this guy in this article talks about how he was quoting police officers and people who worked with her. He says the cops always loved her. You can tell how badly she needs a story by how short her skirt is. Her, <laughs> her raucous sense of humor was what I loved most about her. She would do absolutely anything for a story. She once broke into a house of a crime scene where a dead body was, and when the cops walked in, she was, sta- she was standing next to the dead body, and she said, what took you guys so long? And the whole article backs up right it seems to do anything to lend for a credi- story. credibility anything is anything. to the movie right. yes and and yet the pushback on that is acting like none of this stuff was ever right true. and, I mean, it, and art- actually it, it would be a legitimate literary device to consolidate all of that into one spectacular sacrifice like sleeping with the guy yeah. You know, I could see that happening. So, well, that's I'll, I'll leak this article. Very, yeah, that's very me too. Then uh, just one last thing before we go. Uh, Paul Volcker died at the age of 92. He was the head of the Fed. I think Carter appointed him, but he was celebrated for helping Reagan get hyperinflation under control by boosting interest rates through the roof in the early 80s. And I'm the only person who ever made this point, and I'm, I'm speaking to – friend of the show Byron right now to see if he thinks that I'm right or wrong on this. 
Nixon closed the gold window, completely detached gold from the U.S. dollar. Nixon did that. So Nixon was in office from 68 to, it would have been 76, but he was out in 74. Resigned in 74, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Maybe it was 73. Anyway. Uh, no, I think it was 74. So, so during that time, maybe it was 72, that he closed the gold window. And it took less than a decade, for sure, for us to experience hyperinflation and a, a complete devastation of our economy. It was just awful. So Reagan was elected because of that, because it looked like a Democrat thing, even though it may have been a result of closing the gold window. And then what should have happened, in my opinion, was all the people, like Ron Paul said he gave up medicine, practicing medicine, and entered Congress that day was when he made his decision, when Nixon closed the gold, closed the gold window, because he was like, this country is going down the tubes. People were that worried and upset about it. It was that profound a departure from anyone's basic understanding of how of a sound system is, sound money. So when Reagan should have been the guy who said, we got to open the gold window again, we got to go back to that. This is, this is clearly evidence that, that unsound money is not feasible. And Volcker kind of saved unsound money for the world by just artificially pumping up interest rates as if that's something that Fed chairman could be trusted to do forever. But of course, he just did that one. And then after that, all the problems ever been that they they let it get too low, which is what happened now. Greenspan did it. They just, they there's too much pressure on them to manipulate the economy. I think that's it. So Volcker's hailed as a hero. I think he, you know, I'm never a fan of, saving something from itself when the reason you know it when it's having problems is because of a of an immoral or bad choice like you kind of want stuff to get you want that feedback mechanism to be alive and well and uh and yeah. and now no one will ever remember that those things are connected anyway so it's Paul Volcker, buried forever whatever rest in peace but i know what you're about buddy you heard it right here, <laughs> and you can hear it every weekday afternoon <laughs> at 4 p.m. on thepropreport.com, your drive-time news blast. You can also find it with the Propaganda Report podcast feed on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. We will talk to you guys tomorrow. Be careful out there shopping. It's a dangerous world. <laughs> <laughs>